Jenny Jones and this is Jen's Green Jam. For those who don't know me, I'm a Green Party peer in the House of Lords where I hold the government to account on a whole range of issues. And in my podcasts, I aim to encourage a debate based around the Green perspective on various topics in British politics. And each month I bring on a guest to dissect an issue which is important to me or to the Green Party. And at the end of the podcast, I do some myth-busting by discussing some of the counter-arguments you may hear in the media or on the street. Now, today, I'm really excited to have Stafford Scott here. And over the next half hour or so, we'll be discussing gang culture and knife crime and their effect on young people. Um, But first, let me introduce Stafford. Uh, We were trying, before we started recording, to remember when we met, we can't remember. But it's quite a few years ago, and apparently I told him off. Um, which it, it does sound like me, so I can't say, oh, um, no, you've, you've got me confused with, with somebody. Um, and so um, do you want to tell us just a little bit about uh, your work at the moment? OK, um, well, as you said, I'm Stafford Scott. I currently work as the head of advocacy at the monitoring group. Recently written a report called The Government's Bogus War on Gangs that I believe is directly linked to the issues that you'd like to discuss today. Well, that's brilliant. Um, and uh, you, are, you have a particular take on uh, gangs and the, the, the knife violence that we're seeing, particularly in London. And a lot of people say, oh, it's all drugs-driven. But that's not your view. Abs- absolutely not. And I think that my take is not... In our personal take is not take from the, the perspectives of the victims or those who may commit those crimes. I'm looking at the structures, the system that allows and enables and almost facilitates an environment to be created where people who live in that environment then become so violent and we're witnessing the um, evidence of that, the body count on the streets today. What is the body count at the moment? How how many? 119 this year. And is that just knife crime? I think majorly it is, it is knife crime. But when reported, they just report that 119 young people have lost their lives in London alone this year. And are you seeing the same sort of thing replicated in other cities around Britain? It's not happening in any, in any way, shape or form in other cities in the way it's happening here. Allegedly, violence is on the cre- increase across the country. But in terms of this particular group of young black males, that, you know, let's be honest, that we're talking about. That's not something that's happening UK-wide, thank God. So is it mostly young black men who are actually becoming victims but also perpetrators? In terms of the stories that we hear about in the media and what's driving the, the discussion and the discourse about violence, it would appear that we're focused on on black males. But in reality, the Mayor's Office for Policing and Crime, their statistics say that black males are actually responsible for 27.9% of all the serious youth violences actually happening across London. It may be that the violence is of a different kind of level, so that we're actually witnessing a body count where people are being killed as fatalities as a result. It seems to have got worse um, over the past couple, even just two or three years. So what would you put that down to? I think what we're witnessing is, is, is a punitive response by the state that rather than looking at how... I mean, at the moment, they're talking about public health um, initiatives. They're going to take a That's public, good though, isn't public it? health approach. What does it even mean? 
The reality is, Jenny, is that in this country, they have not conducted a piece of research into why young people feel compelled to carry weapons since 2002. I would say without that research, you cannot begin to build a public health approach to serious youth violence. Do you think the fact that we've lost so many police officers in London, do you think that's had an impact on the overall scene? I think it may have an impact on the way that the police choose to police violent crime and choose to police certain communities and choose to target certain communities. Because much of what they say they're doing is predicting who's going to commit crime somewhere down the line. But again, I would say that the body count strongly suggests that what they're doing is totally wrong and absolutely isn't working. Now, you've spoken a lot about racial issues within the police and within the justice system. Do you think that's playing a part here? Absolutely. It's clear that the, the Met... What's basically happening is, post the riots, um, your old mates Cameron and Boris Johnson, your old mate Boris Johnson, they started a war on gangs. They said that the riots had been orchestrated by um, the gangs. And please note, and I want everyone who listens to this to note, that gangs are never ever given a name. We knew the Cray twins when they were active. We knew the Richardsons when they were active. But we keep on getting told about urban gangs. It's a dog whistle for young groups of black kids. Young groups of black kids who are ostracized, who are marginalized, who are trapped on estates who live pitiful existence and who are paying for austerity in a million different ways. They are the targets. But it's not just those who may have committed violent crime that's the targets. Their peers are also the targets. That would be those who have no record of ever committing a violent crime. And they're policed in such a way that the peers get so frustrated, that the peers get so... because the policing is so oppressive that the peers then join up with the more violent ones to carry out acts of violence. The state is creating a cesspit where these kids are being forced into, and then they're behaving like kids who are left in a cesspit would behave. Um, that, uh, I want to ask you too many questions at once, but we heard recently, of course, that the police want to start doing stop and search without reasonable cause, just on, I don't know, I mean, an individual officer's sort of personal bias, and I'm sure that you don't support that. I think that, I think that this government and that the police have lost their collective memory. They need to go back and read some of the statute books. They need to go back and read um, Lord Scarman's um, report into the 1981 riots in Brixton. That was because of Operation Swamp. That's because these police officers swamped the area and stopped and searched and arrested all the black youths they saw there. The this thing about guns and knife crime has become a dog whistle. It's about race and it's being racialized. So what they're actually saying is they should have the right to stop every black kid out there. First of all, it's not going to stop the violence. I know senior police officers who have said they know of no stop and search that's ever stopped a murder from happening. Secondly, all you're going to do is re-emphasise to those kids out there that this system and this state is just as racist as it's ever been. And thirdly, there is some belief in this society that would be white society, that somehow in our society it is acceptable that the good suffer for the bad. Not my son. Not my son. 
My son is a beautiful young man, 23 years old, just left university, never got in trouble in his life, has been stopped and searched, and he's really unfortunate that he happens to look like me and all those other black youths out there, some of who may be violent. I see no reason for his civil rights, for his human rights to be, to be abused to help the police to do a job that they've proved totally ineffective in doing in the first place. I want people to understand there's several agendas here. So there's the war on drugs, so that's why they say it's about drugs. The real agenda that's impacting this is that Tri Operation Trident, the Metropolitan Police Service, has spread its unique brand of institutional racism right across the system. The 2009 or 11 Policing and Crime Act actually encourages them to do that. They do it without challenge. The whole entire system now are looking for gangsters. We got councils looking for gangsters, but the councils were never trained in how to identify gangsters. So any urban, every street-type behaviour, adolescent misbehaviour, that's a youth worker, I would have been asked to go and set up a youth club and engage with these young kids, they're now called gangsters. The moment you get that tag, you're kicked out. They want you out of the schools, they want you out everywhere. When I was on the Met Police Authority about 10 years ago, uh, and more, we knew then that uh, heavy-handed stop and search alienates communities. And once you've alienated local communities, that means you don't get the same intelligence about gangs, about drugs, about low-level crime, that actually fosters the sort of situation where there's more and more crime. And so um, the idea that stop and search is a solution to, to most crime is, is ridiculous. You, you mentioned earlier about austerity, and uh, I'm assuming you mean that poverty is a driver as well, that it's, you know... Well, uh, poverty's always been there, hasn't it? And in these areas, even before black people ever came to this country, poverty is in, in exactly the same areas. Running Me Trust did a report about that a couple years ago. But what we've had is, is lazy local authorities, when they've been cut, they cut the services that they give to the most needy in our community. In Harringay, we have hardly a youth club open. We have some youth workers who are all attached to some gang thing, but we have a director of youth service who is sitting there pulling down the same 80 or £100,000 that they've always been pulling down. The most marginalised ones are the ones who are paying for it. If you come to a place like Tottenham, where I'm from, they're now talking about Broadwell Farm as, as an estate that needs to be knocked down. In the 80s, it was an estate that we helped to build and we helped to make it... We helped to make it a place that people actually wanted to come and live. The local authority has stopped engaging with local communities, and especially if you're a community where they say that there's a gang in that neighbourhood, because they target the gang, they target their peers, and ultimately they target and withdraw services from the entire community. So the most poorest, most some of the most poorest, most vulnerable people are being forced out of schools, forced into crews, forced onto the streets. There's no youth services. There's nobody who engages them whatsoever. They probably face multi... Um, intergenerational poverty, intergenerational unemployment, intergenerational... The, the worst kind of poverty in those communities isn't financial. The worst kind of poverty in those communities is poverty of hope and poverty mm. of aspiration. And this system does nothing to address any of that. So these kids have created their own worlds 
where they can be celebrities. That would be by having a mobile phone, social media, you become a celebrity. It becomes a significant thing in their, in their lives and their lifestyles. And if they're disrespected or made to look silly on this little telephone of theirs, they'll take it to their nth degree because that's absolutely all that they have. I was interested when you were talking about uh, the whole word of, of gangs and, and labelling people like that because I was where I lived in Camberwell and people told me that there were gangs and actually what I often saw was just groups of kids who, you know, didn't have... I mean, there's no youth clubs, there's no coffee bars. When I was a kid, we used to go to a coffee bar and have a cup of coffee that lasted all evening um, and we could sit and chat there, but now there is nowhere for kids. Nothing for them, apart from hanging on their estates. To defend councils, not all, but um, the government has starved councils of money, and so councils have had to make some very tough choices. And personally, I think it's time for the government to, to step up and accept that austerity was not only completely wrong, but has to be well, reversed. What, what the government did to the councils, I've, I've heard in some cases, some <coughs> councils lost up to 60-odd percent of their funding. I mean, that is absolutely terrible. But let's be absolutely clear. Youth services, the provision of youth services is not a statutory provision. So it's what the councils always cut. These young people are our future. You can't, you cannot be thinking of how you create sustainable neighbourhoods and communities and you cannot treat young people in particular in the way that these young people are being treated. Even if we had a magic wand and we turn this around tomorrow, we haven't even built their capacity where they're going to be able to grow and reach their full potential in the future. So, yeah, the, the government's been cruel to the local authorities, but local authorities have been particularly disrespectful in how they've engaged and treated, I think, um, black and minority ethnic communities. They are in gangs or...? Um... I, mean, I mean, very few people who say that they're in a gang. Very few people who say they're in a gang. I think that because of the narrative, some of the younger ones might kind of think that they're in a gang. Big themselves up. Or... But we have to consider what a gang really is. And what, what the Metropolitan Police Service tell us, so in Haringey, where I come from, there's a thing called a gangs matrix. That gangs matrix is populated with the names of 100 young people. 99 of them happen to be black. Yet in Haringey, the biggest gang, as everybody in London knows, happens to be the Tottenham Turkish boys. If the black kids want to really get serious, they have to engage with the Turkish boys to get the real stuff. So why is it that the police put all the emphasis on the black kids? In Tottenham, if a murder's committed today, there's a section 60. I'm not saying that there shouldn't be. But in Tottenham, four weeks ago, there was a Turkish hit outside a cemetery at five o'clock in the morning. There was no section 60 on the Turkish communities. Tell us where section 60 is. Section 60 is where police officers can just stop people willy-nilly, basically, without any lawful reason and without any actual suspicion. And there's no time limit necessarily on it? I think nowadays they put them in for a specific time, so it might be 12 hours or 24 hours. But they can, but they keep, can, they they can, can renew keep, them. keep on renewing as they do. So, Stafford, you actually go out and you talk to kids on the street, whether they're in gangs or groups or whatever? I, I speak to kids all over, but I'm mainly on estates, so I talk to the young people that are most marginalised. And um, 
One of the things the police talk about quite a bit is county lines work, where supposedly, I want you to tell me about it if it's right, uh, supposedly kids are sort of groomed as drug mules or whatever and they go to from the city out to places like Norwich and they sell drugs. Now, what's your take on all that? Okay, it happens. Some young people are going out there to sell drugs. Of the language that is used, grooming, again, it's trying to bring in another agenda and that's about child sexual exploitation, it's about terrorism. I've, I know some youngsters or the parents of youngsters who have been out there and returned. And let me tell you, I know of no one who's been groomed. Those youngsters lack aspiration and hope. They may still have a foot in school. They feel they're going to be kicked out. And this is, they volunteer in most cases to go out and do this because they believe that this is an opportunity for them. That the only way that they can make money and they, they equate money with power in this society is by doing that. But let me say that what the police do is they get a few cases of this, they extrapolate it, and then they make it out to be a bigger thing than it really is. So in Haringey, as a result of this thing called county lines, the police have engaged with their partners, that would be called the DVLA, and they have written to every young person who is on the Haringey gang matrix, 67% of whom have no record of violent crime, and they have told them, the DVLA have told them, that the police have said that they smoke copious amounts of weed and they had to return their driving licences unless they took piss tests, excuse me, blood tests, and opened up their medical records, their private medical records, for the DVLA to see that the things that the police have said have been liars. Most of those kids have had their licenses returned. So whilst there is some truth out there, the way that the police and, and their partners use it to oppress young people means that they're actually making young people crazy and mad and frustrated because all they're doing is forcing them just to stay in that little spot that's normally called an estate that they live in. So there's no escape for them? That's do, exactly the case. Do you think that it's more dangerous to be a young person these days in London, particularly if you're black? Oh, absolutely. I told you about my lovely young son. He's been at university for the last four years. I've been able to sleep well at night. He's back now, and I'm scared when he's out there. So when I say the things that I say, it's not because I'm anti-police in any way, it's that what the police are doing is, isn't effective and is absolutely adding to what is happening, the frustrations and then the violence that is occurring out there. We were both at a conference recently, and one of the people there, I think it was Imran Khan, the uh, QC, he said that he wasn't anti-policing, he's pro-good policing. Absolutely. Which is absolutely my point of view as well, that um, we have to tell the police where they get it wrong. And here in the House of Lords, I have to tell the government where they get it wrong. And well, they're not, not always happy about it. So. Well, I don't imagine they're going to be happy, but I pray that they listen to you on this one, because it is costing lives. And, of course, costing huge amounts of public money that's being misspent by the police and by all sorts of other organisations when they could be doing... Well, why don't you... Could you tell me now perhaps um, a couple of the solutions? I mean, I can accept that, well, education would be a good one, education, you know, good schools. It's difficult now that we've gone so far to be able to come up with magic solutions. Education has to be a key. But the absolute key is that we have to give these people inspiration. We have to 
give them hope. My mentor is a, a, a Dr. Joy DeGroy Leary, who, who does a whole thesis around post-traumatic slave syndrome. And she says to me that when you work, and she's worked with real gangsters, real hardcore gangsters imprisoned in America. And her thing is when you go to work with these young people, you need to invest as much in their family as much in their home as you invest in the young person. Because if they're coming from homes of multi-generational unemployment, multi-generational marginalization, then they're probably not learning the things in the home that they need to learn that's going to give them the hope that they can make it in this world, just like the average white person can. It, what else would you say absolutely has to be done to improve things? We need, we need to stop this narrative about gangs and we need to develop a truly public health approach because another thing that people are not recognising in our communities, post the 80s, post the uprisings and riots, we say the police allow the flood of drugs into our communities. There are children out there who are the children of crack-addicted parents. That has done something to those children. Their brains are not necessarily wired properly. They need some kind of counselling, medic, they need help. Support. Yep. Absolute support. There's those that they're around who think that their behaviour was normal and then use them as role models. So this has infected our community. But mainly, mostly, our community needs to be empowered so that we can start to engage and work with our young people. And that means that we need spaces and places and opportunities where we can do that. And what we're seeing post-austerity is any building that we had out there that local authorities gave us to use as facilities, they quickly took them back during austerity. So finding those spaces and places are quite difficult too. And people need their capacity to be built. You cannot police your way out of this. It's an absolute. Now, if you had Theresa May here, our wonderful Prime Minister, um, I'm not going to tell you what Stafford's doing, um, uh, but, but it's not flattering to Theresa May. Um, if we had Theresa May here, who, of course, was Home Secretary for quite some time and oversaw a lot of reduction in police budgets and so on, um, what... I mean, you've said a couple of things now. What is the one thing that you would say to her? I'll say that um, I don't understand her, because I actually thought that she, in terms of policing, she was a very helpful home secretary in terms of stopping the stop and searches, because the evidence suggested that they, they weren't working. However, she was also the home secretary who not only created a hostile environment for the Windrush, for the children of the Windrush, but exactly the same time she was creating this whole entire structure for, for the war on gangs. I would say to her that this is a, 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 a war, this war is a misnomer, that those gangs do not exist, that we need to go back to engaging with young people in the way that we used to engage with them before. I would say to her that she needs to invest in communities rather than invest more money in frontline police officers. And I'd also say to her that she needs to tell them, don't do uh, operations swamp with stop and search. It will backfire, it will blow up in your face, it will, it, it will really harm police community relationships. And I think that they're at an all-time low today. That's finally, my impression as well. Finally, I'll tell her to go and ensure that Operation Trident as the gang command 
and the gang matrix has been through the equality impact assessment process because that process was created specifically to control the Metropolitan Police Force from being institutionally racist, whether wittingly or unwittingly. I now know for a fact, having taken part in the MOBAC review of the matrix... That's the Mayor's Office for, for Policing, Policing and Crime. And crime. Right? I know for a fact that they know that the matrix has not been through that equality impact as, uh, um, process. That makes it unlawful, and we need to have that process conducted because there's a reason it was created in the first time. It's to stop institutional racism raging through the system. And because it hasn't been done, it's happening today. So I'd ask her as Prime Minister to ensure that her government is behaving in line with the legislation that they themselves created. Fantastic. What sort of support do you get from um, local MPs and the Mayor of London and so on? As I said before, we're talking about the most marginalised and ostracised group of people on this planet. There's been several reports written, and we've tried to get to talk to the Mayor of London, that man who made all those promises to us. He needs to understand, there's black people, we hoped that having a brown Muslim mayor was a reflection of the new diversity of this city, but he behaves exactly the same as Boris Johnson. Uh, sorry, Boris had more balls than this mayor on this subject. Um, uh, by the way, I want to correct you again, tell you off again, that Boris is not my friend, whatever you called him earlier. I, I happen to know him, and he makes me laugh, but um, he makes lots of people laugh, of course. He also not makes me, lots of people groan. Um, I'm going to now ask you if you would... Um, uh, respond to some of the arguments that people make. You know, people sort of, I would say, right-wing idiots um, might say to you, or people who just don't know enough about it. And so people say things like, um, we need harsher prison sentences to deter people from getting involved in this stuff. Since the Blair government of the 1990s, prison sentences have actually gone up incredibly. So when Blair came into power under Labour government, if you got a life sentence, you're more likely to spend 10 years in prison. Under a Tory government, you spent 12 years. Nowadays, mandatory, if you commit a murder with a knife, you're getting a minimum of 25 years. And I think that the idiots who say that need to look across the pond to that big old country called America and tell me whether or not harsh, crazy sentences stops people from doing harsh, crazy things. That's brilliant. I'm going to use that. Um, uh, something else people will say, there will always be people who want to be part of violent gangs and the only answer is to lock them up. I think people who use violence, young people who take a blade and push it into the body of a young child who's running away from them screaming, I think that they should personally be held to account for their behaviour. Absolutely. I don't think that their friends should. You know about the law called joint enterprise. You know that we've got hundreds of kids who are locked up in prison for crimes that they didn't commit, that they couldn't stop that they sometimes weren't even there. So I don't think that behaving in that draconian way is ever going to help because all it does is reinforce the belief in these young kids that black kids always get dealt with differently, that the system is inherently racist and that society doesn't care for them and treats them differently. 
I'm going to ask you the next question, and I'm going to try not to laugh as I say it, all right? We need to give the police more powers and trust them to fight crime. OK, so let me say this. Today, I wasn't going to personalise this, but today I've got in my bag a letter from the Dep De De Deputy Assistant Commissioner of Police. He's actually telling me sorry. He's just paid me £10,000 for his officers grabbing Stafford Scott, 50-odd-year-old man, grabbing me up and violating me in the middle of West End. Okay? They've been doing that to me for the last 40-odd years. The first time they stopped me, I was a 14-year-old, and they, went, they shook me about. I think I heard Lammy say that his first interaction with the police, he peed himself. As a 14-year-old, I peed myself when they wanted to arrest me for having in my possession an Afro comb. I don't trust police officers. We got a thing called the IOPC because that says police officers cannot just be left to their own devices. That's the independent office, office for, for... for police complaints. So they have to be held to account. And the problem is, is we've never been allowed to hold them to account properly and the state absolutely fails to hold them to account. So in my case, they will pay me £10,000, give me a letter of apology and not accept liability. It's not the first time I've sued them either. They keep on giving out public money without having to face the music. It's not about us learning to trust them, it's about them learning to trust us and knowing that if they are, allow us to hold them to account, they become a better force as a result of that, rather than what they think um, is going to happen. If you think you're treated badly, I can only respond with a tiny story of mine, which is when I was arrested a few years ago for a, for a protest out in front of Parliament, I was handcuffed behind my back, and I've got a quite badly smashed wrist, and I was saying to the police officer, uh, you're hurting me because I've got a broken... You know, you're hurting me, you're hurting me. He didn't listen. You know, now, you know, 60-year-old, little old lady, what can she do? Why does she need her hands? handcuffed behind her back so you know I, I mean my view is the police are actually out of control now they actually have lost sight of what their job is they've lost um, sight and they're not being held to account and austerity doesn't help because it means that there's fewer of them so they just get in there quicker and they're 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 more harsh they're they're less professional and they're rude L less just less patient all together um, now, the other, uh, this is again a question that I have to stop myself smiling about. Normal people don't need to worry about police powers. You only need to worry if you have something to hide. I think you probably answered that with your I mean, being well, arrested so I, many times. I just times. said about myself being arrested, but I told you about the gang matrix. The gang matrix, 100 names, 99 are black, only 6 out of that 100 there, there's red, grade, they're red graded. Red is the most violent, only 6 are rated as such. Orange are those who have a record of carrying weapons or using weapons. I think there's 30-odd of them. There's 60-odd young people on there who have never committed an offence at all. Those people should not be on there, not be being policed like the other people. So ultimately, the system is set to marginalise, isolate, frustrate and anger these young people and we have to understand that and stop it from happening asap one of the things i found in the house of lords is that as legislation comes through it is more and more repressive and it doesn't matter whether it's a policing bill or a counter-terrorism or whatever the government is trying to take a lot more power than most of us want to give it and it's somehow reflected i think in the security services and in the police that they 
um, that they're feeling the whole situation is getting out of control. They have to behave, as you said, harshly and, and out of proportion. And it's, it, as you said as well, it's going to be very hard to row back to from roll, this. To roll them I think what's happened is we had the PREVENT programme. And I think there are a heck of a lot of learning has gone into creating this PREVENT programme. And now they think it's great to have everybody, let's have everybody on the list. It's also about predictive policing for the future, which they're really not being honest and open about. But we absolutely know that that's happening. The list are linked to the um, automated facial recognition systems. It's big brother. It's absolutely big brother. And it's, it's, it's pervasive and... There's no challenge or resistance to it. That's the problem. We talk about what the government is doing, but I don't hear the Labour Home Secretary saying that she would reverse any of these behaviours at all because I think that they would probably do similar things because it's an easy way to control in a time of less money. I could complain about the Labour Party as well because I think the minute anybody says terrorist, terrorism, everybody just falls down. Um, I'm fighting Met Police. I've actually got a court case at the moment, a legal challenge to the Home Office and to the Met Police for using automated facial recognition. Excellent. I'm doing it with Big Brother Watch. Um, but it's um, it's slow going. Wish you luck. And we're both also under undercover police... Well, actually, you're not under, are you? The undercover police inquiry. So the issues around policing go back... Well, they probably go back to the beginning of policing. But in terms of all of what we're talking about, I'm on there because you used to campaign or campaign for justice groups. And as a result of campaigning for justice groups, get spied on by special branch and God knows who else. So this isn't really that free, open, democratic society that people like to infer that we're living in. And some of us, some of us, just, I mean, we're, we're very different to look at, but because of the, the nature of the things that we do in terms of challenge, we then become somehow seen as... Um, Dangerous. Subversive. And yeah. what's that new, um, what are we now called? Um, something extremist. Oh, domestic extremist. Domestic extremist. Yeah, no, the, I, yeah. hey, I'm an accredited domestic extremist. The Met's got me on its... <laughs> domestic extremist database. And also, I tried to get onto the undercover yeah. inquiry. I tried to become a core participant, yeah. as they call it. But I was told, oh, although I'd been spied on by the police, I'd been spied on by the ordinary police and not un no. undercover police. So I didn't qualify. But I am keeping an eye on it and but trying once, to support yeah, people. And we appreciate it. But once people like yourself can be seen like that, once people like myself can be arrested and abused and violated in the way I was, then it's a small jump for them to create lists and treat the most powerless, those who haven't even developed a voice yet, in the way that they do. And if only people could really understand that and really understand that that does fuel the violence that we're seeing, I think that people would actually be in uproar. But it's the way it's, been, um, it's presented that people are not really understanding the whole facts of it all. Stafford, I want to say thank you for talking to me. Is Thanks there anything you feel we haven't covered? Um, I think we've covered everything, but, but for me, the reason why it's happening in London and not in other places is because of this thing that they've got called The Matrix. There's a list of 3,800 names on there. The vast majority of them happen to be black. The, the information is shared across the system. 
Getting on the matrix can be as simple as you get arrest, you get stopped and searched with people who are already on the matrix, or you social media, you're friends with people on the matrix, or you're silly and you get in a video with people who are on the matrix who make. So there's really silly ways, but once you're on it, it's then used as evidence of you being a gangster, and it's shared right across the system, and the impact that that is having is too much for any community to bear, and something has to happen to stop that from continuing. Have you ever seen that matrix? Have you uh, I'm the been only shown? I'm the only person outside of the Met. I saw a story in the Evening Standard on Friday that a copy had been shared online, but that was one page. I have the Haringey gang matrix in its entirety, and when I show it to people, I think that what police do, when people don't see it, they use their, their usual stance of plausible deniability. They collect the evidence, so they're the only ones who know the facts, so they say what sounds right. If you see the document, then it instantly becomes implausible deniability, because the document itself tells a story. And it's very, very obvious that the majority of them who are on there are not the most violent characters in London, as the Met wants people to believe. Can you see any sort of glimmers of hope in all this situation? Not uh, at all, not at no. all. Um, as I said, we had faith. The mayor made certain promises to the black and brown community of London. He told us that he understood the issues around policing. He's reneged on every single promise that he made us. I'm part of a MOPAC. It was originally called, <coughs> excuse me, MOPAC Matrix review community reference group. When I made a fuss about the lack of community members, i.e. I wanted to go to the toilet, I couldn't leave the room because if I left there was no community members there. Instead of getting more community members, they took the word community out oh. of the title. MOPAC have confessed that they know that the Metropolitan Police Force has not equality impact assessed the Matrix or its gang command. That makes it unlawful. So MOPAC, as far as I'm concerned, Martin Luther King said that those who know, who see bad laws and who do nothing about those bad laws are just as bad as those who implement them. So as far as I'm concerned, MOPAC are just as bad as the Metropolitan Police Forces. So I see no hope for no immediate change unless the generally toothless Equalities and Human Rights Commission decides to do its job and ensure that the Met, for who the Race Relations Amendment Act was amended, to make sure that they do the job that they have to do. And I think we have a chance to JR them if they don't. So if there's any hope is that we're going to use the legal process to force those who should be holding these people to account to actually do their job. And I don't have much hope in that. Well, obviously, I'll support you, you. whatever you decide. Thanks very much, Stafford. Thanks, Jenny.